0: From the baggy studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another wormy episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Have your evergreens been bugged by bagworms? On today's show, we'll help you distinguish between a plant part and a cleverly disguised recreational vehicle for hungry, hungry caterpillars. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. That's right. Potential guests are busy practicing the Ohio State stomp, so we will take that heap and help it. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and frustratingly frantic felicitations. So keep your eyes and/or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you can play a round of whack the worm. Right after this, support for you bet your garden comes from coast of Maine creating organically approved gardening soils and plant foods for over 25 years. Part of Coast of Maine's mission is to be the most trusted partner to professionals and homeowners who believe that authentic, natural, and organic garden and lawn products play a critical role in the health of our communities and the living planet we share. Learn more at coastofmaine.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, coming up later in the show. Bagworms, the great imposters of the gardening world. They look like a part of the plant, but actually they're eating the rest of the plant. We'll tell you all about them after lots of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Claire, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, how is Ducky? Oh, Ducky is just <laughs> Ducky. Thanks for asking. You didn't even need the introduction there. Thank you. Yeah, Ducky. <laughs> uh, Ducky is now the star of the show. I'm in second place, and I'm just hoping he's not going to replace me anytime soon.
1: That's okay. That sounds like way less pressure anyway.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, you know, <laughs> he just doesn't come up with the answers, do you, Ducky? All right. So where is Claire? <laughs>
1: I am in Seattle, Washington.
0: Oh, excellent. What a great area. I love, you know, except for, the course, of the steps, the streets that go straight up. Um, but uh, the view there on the water is just amazing.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. We are, we're fond of it. <laughs>
0: yeah, you should be. All right. So what can we do for Claire in Seattle?
1: So uh, we bought a house last year. And we've been here for a year and we tried to tell ourselves to not do anything too drastic and just sort of like watch and see what grows and what what doesn't. But that all comes with the caveat of us really wanting chickens. And so I did get chickens and I very foolishly gave them the run of the yard as they were getting bigger and bigger. And then, you know, they have churned up all of the uh, wood chips that were once covering the, the neat yard. So right. along with, I think, kind of killing a lot of the smaller plants that would have grown around the bushes in our yard, they've also completely mixed in all of these wood chips uh, to the point where I'm not sure if I should leave them and try and like let them compost or if I should dig everything up and try and like get
0: the wood chips out. Okay,
1: I'm, yeah, I'm I got really it. I'm not
0: sure what to do about it.
1: Sorry, that's my dog.
0: What kind of dog? <laughs> uh, he's a poodle. Okay. He's a
1: standard poodle. Okay. Um, he's usually very quiet unless he sees a person.
0: Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> he, must, he must be sensing my astral form. So um, <laughs> it's a very interesting question. Uh, for those of you out there who don't know, when you mix wood material into the soil, it absorbs nitrogen. And it makes it very hard yeah. to grow some crops. um what are you hoping to plant in this uh chickened area?
1: um so right now, I'm trying to keep the chickens out of the area again right. because they tend to attack anything that's tiny and
0: edible. Um, okay, let's take a slight <laughs> let's take a slight detour for a second. uh do you know okay. the tactic of the chicken tractor?
1: Yes. Yeah, I don't have, I guess I, I don't have a, a movable like gate for them, but I have. No, no, read no. About what it, you where do you kind of is let them.
0: Yeah, you can buy them or you can create them. It's kind of like a run where you can have the chickens mm-hmm. go through a dedicated area, um, dig up the weed seeds and eat them, leave their fertilizer behind, and then you move them over to another area and that way they're not digging up your starts or anything like that. So I would advise you to obtain a chicken tractor so the chickens can be outside and rooting around, which is good, but not causing problems. Now, again, what do you hope to plant in this spot?
1: So I'd like to get some just smaller undergrowth kind of flowers that uh, there kind of were before I, I should have sent pictures. I have one part of our yard that has been completely untouched and then a very stark contrast of the yard where they've been allowed to roam.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: in the other untouched part of the yard, it's got just like clover and tiny wildflowers and moss growing. Um, and I kind of want to get that back.
0: Okay. But
1: it, 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 well, it no, seems to me shouldn't... that if I let. Go ahead. I was going to say, if I let them out, even for a minute, they start digging.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. No, no. Especially with the kind of plants you described, they can't be allowed to run free. But that doesn't mean Mm -hmm. they can't go outside. And again, the philosophy of the Mm -hmm. chicken tractor is you move this around. Um, So you'll need a dedicated area where they can roam, where you don't care if the plants get ripped up. But Yeah, Yeah, they've got that. They've got... Okay, well then... A part of the yard. Yeah, yeah. Just repair your fencing then. <clears throat> um, the the kind of plants you describe don't need a lot of nutrition to begin with. Moss, for instance, doesn't okay. even um, take anything from the soil. And the kind of little wildflowers mm-hmm. and stuff... If you're really worried about it, you could mix in a small amount of horse or, well, I was going to say poultry manure. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, like I have that.
0: But it would have to be well composted or else you're going to cause uh, mm-hmm. weed problems. But I would say from what okay. you're describing, I really wouldn't worry about the wood chips. If you wanted to put a flat earth garden in, I would say to, you know, mix that soil with a lot of well composted horse manure, or again, my normal answer, build raised beds on top. But for the plants you described, okay. they are very low nutrition. And because of your climate where it rains or is cloudy and moist three, four, seven times a day, <laughs> uh, it's going to be really yeah. easy to get that moss to spread. So just take okay, great. kind of cuttings from your moss and lay them out. Or if you wanna go online, um, there's a company called Moss Acres in the Poconos here in Philadelphia, yeah, Philadelphia area, Pennsylvania. And they can describe for you how to take some of your moss, put it in a blender with a little bit mm. of, with some water, some beer or buttermilk, and then pour this mixture yeah. out into the area to, uh, to be mossed over And again, in your climate, moss just loves living there.
1: Yeah, I've definitely seen plenty of areas that have have gotten totally covered in moss. So now that I know that I don't have to worry about leaving the wood chips in there.
0: No, no, they will will decompose over time, but they're not going to interfere. Like I said, the moss doesn't take nutrition from the soil, and the others are plants that are used to very low-nutrition soils. So you should be fine.
1: Okay, perfect. All well, right, thank you. And I will, you know, start applying my mental efforts towards containing my chickens cuz one of them has figured out how to jump over
0: our fence. Uh-huh. That's, well, you that's know, it's own little <laughs> Um, well, Thanks. you know, really when you when you get to chicken care, you should have some screening over top of them. Um because mm-hmm. where you are, raptors is an even bigger problem. Not problem, but a population than here in Pennsylvania and they prey on yeah. chicken coops that are open to the sky. Yeah. It's a work Under in progress, it. right? Yeah. It's a whole thing. You gotta get yeah. the plumbing they've, fixed. they've
1: got their nice coop and I'm just trying to build it out a little bit so they can go out and roam without being in danger or endangering plants.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. But make Anyways, sure there's thank some you so much. Yeah, make sure there's some screening over top. You'd be surprised at at uh, how predatory the raptors can be.
1: Yeah, I had heard that. that I'm, I'm part of a lot of chicken Facebook groups now, but I good. had heard that encouraging crows to hang out was actually beneficial because they'll.
0: Except that you off. have crows, the noise and <laughs> so then you nasty. have crows. Yeah, yeah no. I definitely haven't needed to encourage crows. They're yeah, everywhere. Exactly. So. <laughs> All right. Well, you got a lot of work ahead, but it's only your first year, so mm-hmm. you relax and have a good time, yeah. and good luck to you. Kristen, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, Mike. Hello, Kristen. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing pretty well.
0: And where is Kristen doing pretty well?
3: In Warriors Mark, Pennsylvania.
0: Um oh, which? Which part? Say it again. Warriors Mark. It's Warrior Warriors Mark. Huh. I've never heard of it. Where is it?
3: It is a little town um outside of State College, Pennsylvania.
0: Okay. Okay. So you hear us out of state college. Very good. All right. What can we do you for?
3: I have a question about Brussels sprouts and growing Brussels sprouts. Um, I've been gardening for a couple of decades, Mm -hmm. and it seems like early on when I grew Brussels sprouts, they did fine, and I'd have a lovely stock of beautiful Brussels sprouts um, late fall. Mm -hmm. But in the past five years or so, um, I have not been able to grow them successfully. They get large. They get leafy. Um, And then I'm not sure if they're getting more bug-eaten or what else might be wrong, but the Brussels sprouts themselves never really develop. They're either very small and underdeveloped, or if they begin to develop, the leaves unfurl, and they're just very unappetizing.
0: Okay. Um, I didn't think any self-respecting insect would eat a Brussels sprout. But um, if you you had (laughs) insect problems, you'd see holes in the leaves.
3: Um, and I know that there is some insect, um, predation because the leaves themselves of the plant, um, do get a little bit bug eaten as does everything in my garden by late summer. Right. Um, but they're not, they're not terribly eaten. Okay. And the one thing I can say I have done is I've started trimming off the big leaves, um, usually in mid-August, Okay. but I don't know how much to trim or if I trim too much or too little.
0: Well, the first thing I want to do is after we're done talking, I want you to go to the website, uh, youbetyourgarden.org, click on answers to all your garden questions, and then type uh, Brussels sprouts into the search engine. Okay. I have done stories on them over the years. I have never grown them. I don't have enough garlic and butter to make that work for me. And so this is all book knowledge or uh, from other gardeners. But there is a trick with the leaves. Now you realize that these are cold weather plants and they don't like being exposed to really hot weather in the middle of the summer. So are are they in full sun, part shade?
3: I have them at the end of my garden. That's woods edge, so mm-hmm. they get. Um, but the woods edge is still to the north of them, so mm-hmm. they get a lot of fun.
0: Okay, if if it starts to get too uncomfortable for you to be outside, uh, consider set setting up a couple of beach umbrellas to give them some shade in, uh, say, after two in the afternoon, um, because they will be mm-hmm. stressed by heat and you wanna provide them with a lot of water. They're big plants. And um, you know yeah. if we go through a dry spell in the summer, it'd be good to make sure they get enough water. You might wanna water them twice a week just for a short period of time. And then there is a yeah. trick, I hope I'm getting it right, but to make the sprouts bigger, you wanna trim off the bottom leaves and for some reason that makes uh, the brussels sprouts a little bigger. If the thing is covered with sprouts you might want to actually thin it as well. Just remove some of the smallest ones and so the plant directs its energy towards you know kind of ripening up the rest of them and then what do you do with the plant at the end of the summer?
3: Um, I leave it in the ground and take care of everything else that needs be taken care of at the end of the summer
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
3: and they just waited out and so um, I think there was one year where I actually harvest them on January 1st because we had a very um, slow start to winter that year but I usually um, just let them go through the first couple frosts.
0: Good because after the first couple frosts is when they actually taste better. Yeah. They like that cold night to concentrate their sugars. There is another trick you can do Um, if you shred up a bunch of leaves, or in this case, a bale of straw would be the best uh, material to use, you can actually bend the plant down to the ground. Um, You know, you wet the Uh soil first, and then you just push it down, and if too many of the roots get exposed, you cover them with soil, and then when it gets really cold, you cover them with the straw. Pine straw would be great if you can find it out there. And whenever you want, you know, whenever you want to make a special dinner or something, you go out, you move away the straw, and the plant should still be growing uh, sprouts for you.
3: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it likes that ref- warmed temperature, but still very cool.
0: Oh, yeah. No, it it, it is one of the coldest cold-weather plants. So, it, really, yeah. it's it it stressed the most. It may be that they
3: were just not doing so well. In past years, because we've just been getting hotter and hotter summers.
0: Yeah, yeah. But uh, after this winter, (laughs) you know, they should be happy.
3: If we keep cool temperatures.
0: Okay, well, good luck to you. Okay, thank you very much. My pleasure. Take care. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everyone, like Susan in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, not to jump the gun just because you might be having a series of somewhat warm nights. Don't plant summer crops like tomatoes and peppers until you get close to your last average frost date, and nights are also predicted to be in the 50s or above for the next 10 nights. But don't go checking the Weather Channel just yet because we'll be right back with more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem. Pennsylvania. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up, we will tell you all about the weird caterpillars known as bagworms, so you'll be able to keep a better eye on your arborvitae and juniper plants. But before that, lots of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Susan, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
2: Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Good to talk to you.
0: I appreciate you, and it's good to talk to you. At least so far. Come on, you know. And uh, <laughs> how are you doing, Suze?
2: Just fine. I'm doing fine in in sunny Middle Tennessee in Murfreesboro.
0: Oh, okay. Um, we got an email from somebody in Murfreesboro a little while back. Was that you? It quite possibly was. Okay, so I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was an interesting question, and it was the kind of thing that almost demands um, a longer answer. So go ahead, um, tell our studio audience what you originally asked.
2: Well, uh, the first thing I was questioning, and I I listened to your last broadcast, and that was answered, and it was about uh, planting um, peppers. In in containers, so right. that part of my my question was answered.
0: Okay, but, but let's <clears throat> let's go back to that because I really okay. I really dummied up.
2: You just misspoke.
0: <laughs> I totally misspoke, um, but for some reason people were asking what size pots do I grow my peppers in, and I said quart. I have no idea why I said that because the next time I got a quart of hot and sour soup, I saw, this thing's much too small. What are you talking about? (laughs) So yes, for for the peppers that I grow outside and bring inside for the winter, 12 inch pots are fine. You don't need to go bigger than that, Um, but I'm not- that's
2: 12 inch depth?
0: That's the nice thing about the planting pots is when you say 17 inches, 12 inches, 15 inches, the dimensions are the same across the top and the same Uh up and down.
2: Okay, thanks.
0: It's a little known fact. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yes. so we because answered I, that. I
2: was able to I was able to start uh a couple of different kinds of peppers from seeds this year. I've been having fantastic uh luck with Good. germination and uh I'm gonna have to start laying in some some twelve inch pots. Yes. Because I, I I like the idea of being able to harvest all year round.
0: Oh, it's amazing. This year has been one of the best years for the plants that I brought in in the fall. We are picking peppers off them every week. They're flowering. They can't wait to go outside. It's wonderful. I do start new peppers every year, but the ones that go out as one or two year olds um, are already huge. They got all this biomass and they flower and fruit right away. So it's a win-win situation.
2: Now tell me, when you bring them inside, where do you keep them?
0: Okay, so the first thing you have to realize about bringing in peppers is that aphids love hiding in them. So Uh if you've got them all in pots, one of the most important thing is to move the pots away from where they are and go out there with either a pressurized hand sprayer or your garden hose with the nozzle set to laser beam and really hit the leaves. You, you want them to move like in a windstorm. And then you move them to a slightly different area and do it again. And if you really want to make sure you're not going to have big problems over the winter, a third shooting, like one day, one day, one day. And then you bring them inside to a room that doesn't have to be overly warm but shouldn't drop below 60 and where you can hang a good light above the planks. Um, In the past I have have always relied upon the four tube, four foot long fluorescent fixtures, but this year for Mm -hmm. the first time I'm experimenting with LEDs.
2: I got some LEDs this year for, actually I started last year, um, for, um, you know, seed starting. And and I heard you talking about the deformable garage lights. Right. And I got a couple of those, and boy, they put off some really
0: good light. Don't they? But I'm surprised at how warm they get. And I've really had to keep up with the watering this year more
2: more than usual,
0: even though they have these cutouts in the back to... um, Disable the heat so that disperse the heat mm-hmm. and when I brought it up with a computer friend of mine I said I thought these diodes were supposed to be Like heat free and he said why do you think every computer has a fan inside it?
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's where the LEDs are nice because they don't have any heat.
0: Well, uh, you know these deformable ones you know they give off a fair amount of heat with their 12,000 lumens apiece. Yeah. But yeah. uh, so far, so good.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the um, tube lights that I have are LEDs, and there's no heat for them at all.
0: Uh, yeah, I wonder about that. Um, and I, I, I've seen these things in use. They're super bright. And the nice thing about having um, tubes that bright is you don't have to keep the plants right up against them. Uh, the amount of lumens mm-hmm. they're getting, even six inches or a foot away, is satisfactory to keep the plants nice and stocky.
2: Okay. Now, the other question I asked you about, um, of course, this last year I had more time than I usually do, so I got into more um, different kinds of gardening, and uh, and this year, since I started so many uh, peppers and tomatoes and different plants from seed, and our last f- Frost date here in middle Tennessee isn't until about April 15th, and these plants are getting bigger. Mm -hmm. I built a cold frame, but I really, I've never used a cold frame, and I'm not sure how to use it.
0: Cold frames are great, but you have to vent them during the day. Cold frames are meant to protect plants at night. So if they don't have an automatic venting system, you have to go out when the sun goes down and remove whatever props you've got to keep them up. And you have yeah. to vent them during the day because with the direct sunlight on them, they can get overheated in, in mm-hmm. just one day. But cold frames are an essential part of organic gardening that goes back a long way. And some of the best gardeners I know put their starts outside and um, use cold frames to protect them.
2: Now, I've got tomatoes and pepper plants that are probably a good 10 inches. They're blossoming already. At Mm -hmm. least the peppers are because I started them sooner. Should I trust them to go in the cold frame when the temperatures continue to fall into the 30s at night?
0: My basic answer would probably be yes, if the cold frame is well-constructed and insulated. Some people will simply take their plants out for a walk during the day and bring them back inside at night. Um, That's if you, what I'm
2: doing now. Yeah, yeah,
0: if you're concerned about the viability of the cold frame, uh, put a stunt plant out in there and test it on the coldest night you have coming up, and that'll tell ah, you everything okay. you need to know.
2: <laughs> I was just going to say I've got a thermometer in my cold frame, and I've you know, I've kept track of that. So,
0: is it a kind of thermometer that tells you? What happened overnight, you know, that retains the coldest temperature or anything?
2: No, no.
0: All right, well, you got to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and go out and, you know, wait for the milkman and check your temperature.
2: Okay. (laughs) All right, I like the idea of uh, uh, putting a plant out there that I can sacrifice if if it happens.
0: We always need to make sacrifices to the gardening gods.
2: (laughs) Yes. Okay, thanks so much, Mike, I appreciate the advice.
0: Thank you, Susan, good luck.
2: Thanks,
0: bye-bye. Pat, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Pat, how you doing? Doing well today, how are you? I'm just Ducky, thanks for asking. Ducky always likes Mm -hmm. to be paid attention to. Uh, I think (laughs) Ducky is taking over the show. All right, uh, where are you, Pat? (laughs) I'm in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Okay, I know where that is. And what can we do for Pat in Westchester?
4: So I have uh, some inkberry holly bushes, and mm-hmm. they're planted in a line to screen the view of my air conditioner condenser
2: mm-hmm. to hide
4: that. And um, they have grown to over 5 feet tall. I've planted them about 7 years ago. And so I have been trimming them each year down to about five feet so I can see over them, out my picture window. Mm -hmm. And the woody stems at the bottom are becoming more prominent each year. So little by little, the bottom of the condenser is becoming visible again. Mm
5: -hmm.
4: So I just wondered if there was any tip or trick that I could apply to stop that trend or if not then maybe what I could plant between them or what what to do about that?
0: Well it's it's interesting because we used your story on the Facebook page and one oh. of, one of the things that our Facebook friends said was that hollies of any kind, the Ilex uh, genus, are you they can be cut back to the ground almost and they will regrow from that. I used this trick to improve a holly that I have right in front of my house that it wasn't bare at the bottom, but it looked like a broken umbrella. And it had a side shoot that looked really good. So now I have, after three or four years, a really well-formed holly that seems to be growing to the north. So, you know, if you ever want to kind of start over with these plants again. You could cut them way back down to about a foot and they would regrow. And when they would regrow, they would fill in that area underneath. Now, the warning uh. is that it could take years. So you'd have to put up a big fence around your air conditioner like you know, everybody else does. And I believe that um, when I answered your question on Facebook, that I suggested um, you get a little decorative fence of some kind and just put that around the part that's showing and have it be as tall as the bottom of the green growth just above it. Because these are magnificent plants. Um, They're great food for wildlife. They're beautiful. you know, inkberries are just really special uh, forms of the holly plant. And, um, right. you know, what happens with these kind of plants, and you've seen this on evergreens all over, is the bottom uh, branches start to brown out. Well, that's not old age or a disease or anything. It's just that the sun can't get down there any longer. And so the top mm-hmm. of the plant is taking over, you know, using all the nutrition it gets uh, from the sunlight for photosynthesis. And down below, it starts to brown out. And, you know, on evergreens, I don't mind this. Um, I just lob them off, so to speak. And, you know, that way I'm not banging my head into the lowest branches when I'm out there mowing as well. But what do you think? Mm -hmm. Uh, A a line of pavers uh, put up there? Or a little decorative fence of some kind along the bottom. How much are we talking about? A foot?
4: It's about probably a foot and a half now. Well, and um,
0: if it were odd, I don't
4: know. I just,
0: I would not mm -hmm. invest. I would not invest years into quote regrowing these plants because theoretically the same thing will happen again. But there should be some kind of interesting fencing or edging. Or, you know, maybe make a little a little wall out of either bricks or pavers that are turned uh, to the high side, so to speak, and pretend it was always deliberate.
4: Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll have to think about it. Um, I was hoping there was something I could plant in between them. I tried sedges a couple years ago, but they grow flat, like yeah. flat along the ground most of the time, instead of standing up, didn't really fill in.
0: Yeah, I can't think of any perennials that um, mm-hmm. would cover up that spot in in the wintertime.
4: Right.
0: You know, most of them, they either, yeah. dr- they either drop their leaves or they're herbaceous and they disappear. And, you know, I would go, a lot of times people just, you know, I, I understand the desire to plant, duh. I don't have to. I don't have to make an honest <laughs> living. Thanks for it. Thanks to it. Um, but I think sometimes people neglect hardscaping and other solutions, which could look really interesting. And if you want to bring this little wall, that and also, if the if the brown area keeps going up, you can make the wall bigger. Um, but you could also. Mm-hmm. Move the wall forward a little bit away from the hollies, and fill it with dirt and plant uh, annuals out there, or even mm-hmm. herbaceous perennials. You know, whatever you want to, mm-hmm. whatever you want to do. But I think it would be fun, and I think it would look good.
4: Right. I'm going to have to look into the uh, fencing, uh, the, the availability of different kinds of fencing because I haven't really done that, hadn't thought about it until you said it. So. I, um, yeah, I'll have to look into some uh, opportunities to, to do the uh, fencing.
0: Yeah, or um, again... I do have
4: some more perennials.
0: Or or again, some, kind of, um, you know, a nice wall of bricks, because that can be changed in height, or a nice wall of pavers, because mm-hmm. that can be changed in height. And if things change dramatically and you wind up uh, removing the hollies to start again or something... The nice thing about pavers and bricks is, you know, you could just move them to wherever you want them and use them for something else.
4: Right, right. That sounds good. I'll have to look into that.
0: Okay. Well, good luck to you. Well, it's time for me to take another little break and remind everyone who wants to repair or replace a cool-season lawn like fescue or bluegrass that the only sure path to success in the spring is with sod. Otherwise, wait until mid-August to spread seed. But don't go blaming me for telling you the truth just yet because we'll be right back with Bad, Bad Bagworms and more of your bad-to-the-bone phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden, from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week about perhaps the most bizarre caterpillar of them all, the creepy crawly bagworm. In the meantime, we're going to put a couple more of your fabulous phone calls in the bag at 888 492-9444. 492-9444. Alan welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi Mike. Hello. How are you? I am just ducky Alan. Spring is here. I got peas in the ground. I got lettuce in the ground. Wonderful. Yeah how are you doing? I am doing well.
5: I live uh, not too far from Temple Ambler.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: And my question is about pruning. I have the same question about two of our plants. We have overgrown golden cypress and blue spruce.
0: Mm. So
5: first I'll ask you about the golden cypress. They're
0: beautiful, it's man.
5: presently, yes, they're presently about 8 to 10 feet tall and there's like four clumps of them making a semicircular hedge-like arrangement around the back of a dwarf crab tree. Mm-hmm. And the problem is on the other side of the golden spruce, they're overhanging into the driveway and causing an obstruction. Okay. So our branches are each about four feet long and each of the branch has about 12 to 15 each of green foliage. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if I'd be able to trim them back by about two feet, and if that's not possible, by six or 12 or 18 inches, and whether this is the right time of the year or I should be doing it at another time of the year. What do you think?
0: Well, uh, you're talking about lateral pruning. You don't want to shorten the height, right? You just uh, they've correct. They've grown into an area that is the safest kind of pruning uh, to do with these kind of evergreens. Now, I'll reveal to everyone in our listening audience uh, that we're taping this show at the end of March, even though they'll be seeing it, you know, second week of April. So uh, what I would suggest is you wait a little bit. You know, wait till we're really sure spring is here and we're not going to get any more onion snow or anything like that. And then when you start to see new growth on them again, go out there. But one of the best rules of pruning is not to do it all at once. Just take six inches off in the area that you want to get a better eyesight for your cars and wait a week and go out and see how that looks. And then take another six inches off. Because you can always take a little bit more off. You've got the whole spring to get it where you want it. But if you go nuts the first time, you're out there with super, super glue and duct tape, the neighbors laughing <laughs> at you, you know. So by doing it a little bit each week, that's how you really shape plants like this. And yeah, okay. you know, when you get in for the second or third pruning, that's where you can really step back and look at it and say, Okay, um, I might have gone in a little too far here, I can still take some off here, and really restore the shape to how you wanna look how you want it to look.
5: Now, is there any danger of cutting Uh, so much green back that you'll end up uh, having a so-called hole there where there won't be any growth that will come back?
0: That's why we're doing it slowly and patiently. And we're using hand pruners. So you're not going to create any holes. um, And you'll be able to watch your progress. But by stretching the workout, you can really um, do some really nice design work on these plants.
5: Okay, that's wonderful. Would I use the same advice about a blue spruce?
0: Absolutely. Has that gotten too wide? Yes, that's gotten too wide also onto the sidewalk. Yeah, I learned my lesson about blue spruces. We got a live one years and years ago for uh, Christmas, and we kept it outside and dug the hole while the soil was still unfrozen and then planted it you know right in front of the house not too close to the house but right out there where we could see it and it thrived and it grew like crazy i think there may have been a privy out there at some time but it got <laughs> it got really big and we decided it it was overshadowing so many other plants that we would cut it down but we would use it for that year's christmas tree we would cut it in like early and december that- And, yeah, I got double duty out of it, not not even counting um, the year-round stuff. And it was a good height. It wasn't too big for the house. But the skirt of this thing was as wide as as, as a truck. It was ridiculous. (laughs) So, yeah, but do the same thing. You want to wait until all chance of, of frost is done. And then you wanna do this you know, slowly and meticulously, and you'll be able to retain a really good shape while still uh, you're, you won't be knocking people off the sidewalk anymore.
5: Perfect, thank you so very much.
0: Yeah, one thing I wanna mention that does not apply to you is you should never top a tree like a blue, blue spruce that comes to a point at the top, or you'll ruin the shape forever and you'll never get it back. But side Not pr-
5: our intention, but thanks for the pointing.
0: Yeah, side, a side pruning is a great way to keep plants under control. Well, thank you very nice. Have a great day. You too, Alan. Make sure you go visit the, uh, the uh, let's see, Temple Ambler, the first horticulture school designed and run by women, right? I didn't know that. You didn't know that. Well, when you go over to make a visit, you'll impress them. Yes. Thank you. My pleasure. You take care, Alan. It is that time again, cats and kittens. We are up to the question of the week, which we're calling, our bagworms the creepiest or sneakiest caterpillars? Tim in Cream Ridge, New Jersey writes, I'm a longtime fan. I even won a blue ribbon from the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society this past summer for my 2,100-square-foot raised bed vegetable garden because of your help and guidance over the 12 years I've been listening. My question is about bagworms, which have infested large areas of my property in the beautiful horse country of western Monmouth County. We have a large hedge of very mature arborvitae that are pretty much being stripped by these things. They're also on blue spruces around the property but I am more concerned about that arborvitae as these trees separate our property from our neighbors and I'd hate to see this big beautiful hedge turn into a stand of dead trees. I had an expert from what I believe to be a reputable tree care company tell me that only chemical sprays could solve the problem of these horrible little worms. While I have taken hours to pick and burn the pine cones, I can't reach all of them and he advised using an insecticide spray when they are eating during the growing season. As you can imagine, I am a steadfast organic grower, with bird baths, pollinator gardens, birdhouses, fruit trees, and wildlife all around my little homestead. I picture a chemical being sprayed into the trees and birds falling out dead. Yikes! I had never heard of bagworms until this past year, but the tree care rep said that this area of New Jersey is particularly known for these infestations. Of course, now I notice them on stripped trees all around. I've also noted that out on Route 195, which is the road to the beaches, there are signs that state trees have been treated with noxious sprays. Please let me know how to get in front of these bagworms in an organic way. They are even on my skip laurels now. Okay. First, those signs are not about insecticides, but nasty foul-smelling agents that are sprayed to deter people looking for free Christmas trees. If you ignore these signs and cut one of the trees and bring it indoors, it will soon smell like 17 skunks held a steel cage match in your living room. We don't know who won that match, but we can be sure about who lost. Now, I wish bagworms were that easy to explain. But let's start with the fact that bagworms are not worms of any kind and neither are the many other caterpillars whose common name includes the word worm, like the corn earworm, the cabbage worm, tomato horn word, etc, etc. For some unknown reason, farmers called these caterpillars worms and the name stuck. So if something, quote, wormy is attacking your plants, they are caterpillars. Oh, which is important, as we shall soon see. Foreshadowing. Nests. Bagworm nests look much like pine cones, so they are often ignored when they first show up on coniferous plants, like arborvitae and juniper. Those are their favorites, but they'll also breed on many other plants, including pines, spruce, apple, box elder, elms, black locust, maple, oaks, persimmons, poplars, and willows. Now that's per the USDA. I've personally only seen them on arborvitae and juniper. Now we get to the weird part. The adult males are hairy moths that emerge from their bags to mate in the fall. But the adult females are grub-like creatures that have no wings and spend their entire life inside bags constructed of locally available materials that, again, look just like the host plant produced them naturally. The adult males mate with these weird grub-like things through an opening in the bag. I'm not making this up. And then, as is often true in nature, the adults die but not before the female lays 50 to 100 eggs inside her bag. That bag, by the way, also has an opening at the south end for the convenient deposit of moth poop. The eggs will survive winter, and then pupae from the hatched eggs will emerge in early spring, April through June, depending on your location and the weather. They drop down on a thread of silk, And if the wind is right, it can carry them to another host plant. If it isn't, they'll just feed on the same plant. Then they begin actively feeding. So this is the time to spray the plant with the old original form of BT. This organic caterpillar killer has been around for many decades and only harms caterpillars that are actively feeding on the sprayed plant parts. It will not affect birds, bees, butterflies, frogs, toads, pets, people, naked mole rats, or Godzilla's. While feeding, the little worms actively collect material from the host plant, with which they will quickly make their own bags, emerging only to feed. And because the bag is composed of material from the plant they're eating, it is really easy to miss, but you will eventually see the damage they cause. So if you've had bagworms on a plant in the past, keep a close eye on it for the next couple of months and have your BT at the ready. You also can and should prune off any bags you can reach at any time of the year and then do what an Ohio State University Extension Bulletin calls the bagworm stomp, which should be self-explanatory. Well, that sure was some interesting information about bagworms now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Garden's Alive website. To read it over at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest Question of the Week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to bag my worms if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at our brand-new phone number, 888-492-9444. Or send us your email, you're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location. You'll find all of this contact information at our website, youbetyourgarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to all your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and our internationally renowned podcast. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he flew through the Van Allen belts, was exposed to cosmic radiation and nothing happened. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sound engineer is Long Island's finest, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Tavia Minnick is our profound princess of peerless production. The always lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Jake Boyer does the video. Our directorial director of direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Andy Cummins takes our temperature at the door. Our jack of all trades and master of, eh, maybe two. Zach Datakwasneski is in the house, ably assisted by the usual gang of idiots, including Eric Werner, Jacob Morris, Jeff Frederick, Carlin Canfeld and many more too expensive to mention. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, our beloved CEO and not our executive producer, Tim Fallon, still manages to be late for meetings, even if none are scheduled. Don't try this at home, kids, the man is a pro. I, on the other hand, am the living embodiment of the amateur hour. I just don't show up for the meetings. Works for me. But I'll be back to work for you and your garden. Same back time. Same bat channel next week. for You Bet Your Garden comes from Coast of Maine, creating organically approved gardening soils and plant foods for over 25 years. Part of Coast of Maine's mission is to be the most trusted partner to professionals and homeowners who believe that authentic, natural, and organic garden and lawn products play a critical role in the health of our communities and the living planet we share. Learn more at coastofmaine.com. What can be done when wood chips get mixed into your garden soil? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, we'll discuss what to do besides blame the chickens. Plus your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.